Are you ready to talk Padres baseball? We've got you covered. Now is the right time to bring back Padres Social Hour as we await the start of the regular season. Friar Faithful, get ready to sit back, relax, and join the conversation. Now, coming to you from everyone's homes around San Diego and beyond, it's Padres Social Hour with your host, Jesse Agler. Hey, what's up, everybody, and good evening to you. Welcome to Padres Social Hour. It is Tuesday, April 7th, 2020. I had somebody ask me earlier on social media, hey, why do you say the day of the week and the date at the beginning of Social Hour? Literally just to remind myself what the heck day it is. That's why. And uh, I know I'm not alone in uh, having to deal with that whole part of all of this right now. We're doing our best, though, every day at 530, Monday through Thursday, to be here for you and uh, try and entertain, engage you a little bit, have some fun, sit back, relax, talk baseball which of course is not always as uh, straightforward as uh, perhaps we would dream it to be, but plenty to talk about again today and to discuss it all with us. Very happy to bring in a couple of my friends, Bill Center and Annie Heilbrin. Uh, you have uh, seen them and heard them and read them both all over town for uh, plenty of years. Uh, Bill, longer than Annie, I should point out. Great <laughs> to have you both with us. With us and, and like I said, Plenty to discuss. We'll jump into the big Jeff Passan story from last night, certainly about the possibility of uh, baseball having an Arizona bubble. Uh, but uh, first of all, glad to see you both. Bill, how are you? I'm great. Uh, I was figuring out if you added up the ages of both of you and doubled it, you might come to mind. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need to do that, Matt. I did just have a birthday, so I don't know. I mean, maybe I at this point we'd be able to catch up. By to the way, you. happy birthday, which. Thank you. Yeah, very much. I appreciate that. Annie, everything good in your world? Everything is great. I agree. Happy birthday. Happy belated birthday, Jesse. And it's great to see Bill Center's face always. So I'm happy to be on here with you guys. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Like I said, we'll, we'll have some Speaking fun today. National Beer. Oh, yeah. It's National Beer Day. So we'll have a good time with that. Uh, talk a little bit about some uh, baseball movies, both of which came out on this day uh, in previous years. We'll have some lighter topics. Certainly. Hello, Oceanside. And uh, but again, this this Jeff Passon story that came out late last night was sort of the big deal uh, where he presented uh, an idea, I guess, that is being floated about uh, between baseball and the Players Association. And the the reaction to this has been loud, I would say, is like the first word that comes to my mind. And I'll run over some of the details from his story last night in case you haven't seen it. Um, But a lot of people have a lot of opinions on this, understandably, some positive and some negative, understandably. So let's just start with like what was in the article. And basically, Jeff says the idea has been kicked about uh, that Major League Baseball would send all 30 teams to the greater Phoenix area. Uh, They would sequester the players and staff. We're talking about probably a couple thousand people in total uh, at their hotels. And they would play games without fans at all the spring training sites in the Phoenix area, at Chase Field, and even at perhaps a couple of the uh, collegiate sites. Uh, Arizona State, I guess, would, would be the main one. Um, and that everybody would be there. They would play the games, you know, in front of empty ballparks uh, and, you know, just try and have some sort of season here in 2020. Um, It's obviously weird to even think about this. It's weird a little bit to even talk about it with everything else that's going on. There would be bigger rosters. Yes. Um, You know, all those sort of baseball logistical things you would think of are part of it. They even said they would use the electronic strike zone so that the umpire doesn't have to be huddled up against the catcher and the hitter. And so he would be able to stand six feet back. The players would not be in the dugouts in this one conversation that has been had so that they could do social distancing. And because there'd be nobody in the crowd, he said, the players would just be spread throughout the stands. And when it's your turn to bat, I guess, you kind of hop over the little fence, I don't know, you know, and, and get ready to bat. So it, it feels very optimistic, obviously, 
um, because they even threw out May as a possibility of like spring training, you know, and getting guys out there and starting this. There are, I would say, an endless number of hurdles from a health standpoint, from a logistics standpoint, from a public relations standpoint that would need to be cleared in order for something like this to happen. I guess, guys, my main takeaway was baseball and the players are having these conversations. And that in and of itself does not offend me in any way, shape or form. These guys are not going to come up with the vaccine. Rob Manfred and Tony Clark are not going to be the ones to get rapid testing in everybody's hands. They are in charge of baseball, in essence. And so I guess what they need to be focused on is baseball. And this is one idea that's that's been kicked around. I don't know if I'm oversimplifying it too much thinking of it that way. Bill, we'll start with you because this was obviously a, a pretty big newsy thing to come out of late last night. Well, I love the idea. And I'll tell you, it's sort of there's a historical precedent that uh, at the start of World War II, uh, baseball looked like it wasn't have a season. And Franklin Delano Roosevelt said, President Roosevelt said, look, baseball is important to the fabric of our country. Baseball goes on no matter what we're doing. And it's probably not the same thing, but I think that there is a little bit in this scenario that let's give people who are, uh, you know, <laughs> they, they, they're at home. They, they, it's a cab audience. Let's give them something different. Let's give them something to sink their teeth into. And I love the idea. You mentioned FDR and World War II, everything going on there. That was kind of an interesting that came out later in the day today. Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic uh, had a story about all of this, and he seemed to hint uh, and maybe that's not even strong enough of a word that this was actually something that the government was presenting to baseball, or at least that the government was kind of saying, hey, we would love to be able to support you in this endeavor very much because of what you just said. There is a, a, a public you know, feeling better aspect to all of this. Obviously, yes, there's business concerns from a baseball standpoint, but to be able to provide some sort of live entertainment and take people's minds off you know, everything that's going on, that's a real part of it. And, and so there is a political aspect to all of this as well, and that the government has kind of been in touch with baseball. And we know about the call that happened with the commissioners over this past weekend. But Annie, I mean, it's just, it, it's a lot to wrap your head around, I guess, at this point. Yeah, I I love that Bill loves it because I I think I have the more unpopular opinion, which is which is that it just I don't know, just perspective wise and priority wise, and it just feels a little too too um, I guess premature. Maybe that it's dropping now, and we're still seeing so much death and so much what's going on in New York and so much uncertainty over what could happen here and in other states, um, like we're seeing in New York that I just think it's kind of hard to to focus on that. At the same time, I don't begrudge, just like you, Jesse, I don't begrudge Major League Baseball for focusing on it because that's their job. They need to be looking at every kind of contingency plan, just like businesses all around the country are trying to figure out contingency plans and pivot and figure out ways that this would work. Um, I do wonder even if it will be as much as a reprieve as, as people think, if things are not going well um, or this pandemic continues to uh, strike in, in kind of a way that maybe is is, is worse or, or whatnot, then I don't know if it will be a reprieve. I don't know if people will turn it on and watch it and be happy to see it or feel resentful and bitter that maybe they're not getting prioritized their care, you know? So I, I think there's a lot of things to look at in the country, but I don't think that that is necessarily baseball's, you know, they can't solve the whole problem. They can't solve the whole world. They do just have to kind of look 
at their bubble and say, what can we fix and what can we do? Um, like you said, Jesse and Bill, there are some things, some hurdles you got to get through on this one. But, you know, I understand why they're having the conversations. It just maybe feels a little weird right now to think that that's that's a reality with so much uncertainty still around this pandemic. Yeah, the, the timing of this coming out, I, I didn't think was particularly great. And in Major League Baseball's defense, they didn't necessarily intend for this to get out yes. right now. I mean, you had the Surgeon General what, in the last 48 hours saying, hey, prepare for a really bad week and, you know, invoking Pearl Harbor and 9-11 in terms of the, the reality of what we're all going through. So for, for this kind of to come out in the shadow of that, like you said, it feels not great. Um, but again, you know, that doesn't appear to be their intention because they didn't announce this. It just came out. And it could feel a lot different. And, you know, we saw some of the numbers or some of, the, you know, some of the optimism coming in now about what's going on with the coronavirus. So it could feel, you know, what they're floating now could feel a lot different in a month. It could feel like, okay, this makes sense. You know, we, I could see this happening. Um, I also kind of wonder if players will be able to, not, not because they're trying to not respect, you know, the, the isolation or the baseball biosphere that they'll be in, but I don't know if it's realistic to think that coaches and players can but at the same time, if they want to get paid and their wives want them to get paid this year and they want to provide baseball for the country, which I definitely think they do, um, it's going to be a, you know something that they also have to kind of have, you know, come to terms with and and figure out a way to take that very, very, very seriously. You know, so I, th I think there are some hurdles and they could probably get past some of them. Um, and, you know, I, I do kind of wonder in the long run, maybe maybe we'll look back on that and say, you know, that that was the right time. I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I guess for me, the logistical stuff and the financial stuff, like you can kind of figure all that yeah. out. It, it'll get weird. Like, hey, when do they play the games? It's 120 degrees there during the day. How many games, you know, can you realistically play? You, you can figure all that stuff out. It, it's the, the more serious health uh, consequences, I think, that, that really need to be taken very carefully here, along with, you know, as we said, sort of the public relations, maybe not the right term, but that aspect of, all right, you're going to be diverting medical resources away yeah from hospitals and, and making sure that everything is covered in that area. MLB did release a statement this morning after the story came out last night and, you know, they didn't headline it this, but they, they could have just headlined it, you know, well, let's pump the brakes. Uh, but instead they said MLB has been actively considering numerous contingency plans that would allow play to commence once the public health situation has improved to the point that it's safe to do so. That's obviously the key thing there. So again, they're looking at different ideas as they should, because that's what they are in charge of. Um, but that's an important caveat at the end of that sentence that, you know, they're going to wait until, you know, they, they get the OK from uh, local federal, you would imagine, you know, health officials. If we can even put that back up, Cole, sorry. Uh, the very end I thought was interesting, too, as we kind of dissect the statement uh, that Major League Baseball put out today. Um, the health and safety of our employees, players, fans, and the public at large are paramount. We're not ready at this time to endorse any particular format for staging games in light of the rapidly changing public health situation. So again, they're saying, look, in essence, I guess, we're talking about this. What else do we have to do? We're trying to figure out what we can do when we can do it. Um, but that doesn't mean that anything's imminent. And again, I, I certainly didn't get the sense that Major League Baseball intended for this to become public at this point. Uh, I think Bob Nightingale had a column about it in USA Today late this afternoon. And he said that there was a conference call yesterday uh, between baseball and the Players Association. So like they are actively talking about this stuff. They are real conversations taking place. And again, I, I'm OK with that as, as odd as the plan might seem. I guess that's their job, you know, and that's that's what they should be focused on right now. Jesse, I love I, I actually love the idea that they're giving people a little hope. There might be something at the end of the road. Yes, it's May. 
but it's something to look forward. And baseball is part of the fabric of this country. And we're not in any more dire situation right now than this country was in 1942 when Roosevelt said, play ball. Yeah, I mean, you're the World War II historian, and, and you and I could get into an interesting debate. I think back and forth, you know how I enjoy playing devil's advocate, uh, particularly with you. Um, but Absolutely. Maybe that's, a, <laughs> that's a conversation for another day. Anyway, they're throwing it out there. Uh, I really do. You know, it feels to me like it's one of those situations where you throw a bunch of stuff at the wall, you see what sticks. And uh, if there's something workable there, yeah, I think a lot of people, Bill, do, to your point, see the value in in what baseball can provide to society at large. You saw a similar idea come out of uh, England over the weekend uh, that there was this idea that, hey, we can finish the Premier League season, get everybody together in the middle of the country. Same kind of thing. You go biosphere on this. Pauly Shore's there, the whole deal. And, you know, you lock everybody in their hotel rooms and, and you try and play it. Logistically, very, very complicated. How realistic is it? I don't know. Uh, you know, we'll we'll wait and see how this thing unfolds. That that would be, I guess, my final word on this is the, the medical experts have a very hard time right now predicting where we're going to be a month from now, three months from now, four months from now. So for me to try and do that on, on this show seems a, a little bit futile to say the least. But anyway, interesting stuff certainly, and uh, we'll 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 see how it all goes out. But uh, plenty to read. Plenty to talk about and uh, baseball keeping itself in the news, uh, whether they're trying to or not. I, like I said, I don't know. So that is that. Any final thoughts on the topic from either one of you guys? I just you know, think it I would be very interesting to see if you start the season in Arizona, how long it would actually take to matriculate back to your own ballparks. And I'm sure that they've got dozens of contingency plans that they're already talking about. But like I said, this is a ray of hope and I like rays of hope at any time. Yeah. And for me, Jesse, I just, you know, I want baseball back too. I want all sports back. I definitely would love to see some baseball being played. Of course, all of us here on this Padre social hour show, that's our livelihood too. And we want it back as much as anyone. So um, I'm sure that they are working really hard and they're also probably getting information that we're not privy to, you know, that, that maybe gives them even more hope that something like this can get pulled off. So um, just like Bill said, you know, maybe there is some optimism there and we'll just have to wait and see, like you said, because none of us really know in two, three, you know, four, six months, what, what's going to happen here. But once yeah. Bill starts throwing out 1942 references, I bow out. I'm, I'm out. <laughs> Bill, Bill can take you through, uh, you know, Rommel's oh, know. every move in, in North Africa. And he can also tell you about the 1960 Cincinnati Reds. He's a very well-rounded fella. Um, on a much lighter note, we mentioned this. Hey, we got our friends uh, Budweiser. It's National Beer Day. And, um, you know, hey, beer is a part of the fabric of baseball, as baseball is part of the fabric of America. Um, you know, and, and I think immediately when I started thinking about baseball and beer together on National Beer Day, I started thinking about being at Petco Park and whether it's, uh, I don't know, just, you know, some kid dancing and having his beer and having a good time. I shouldn't say kid, please enjoy responsibly and only if you're of age. Uh, but, you know, having fun with your beer at the ballpark, everything like that. And, and then, guys, I immediately thought back to two years ago. Uh, I think it was 2018. Foul ball and one of the most unbelievable things I've ever seen. This was like right below the booth. The ball goes right into her beer and then there you go. Well, the rest, as they say, is history. This was like all over Sports Center and everything. She fully went viral. Uh, Annie, we believe her name in, from recollection is Gabby DeMarco. 
and uh, she had some good times. And you actually caught up with her along with Bryce Miller for a story in the Union Tribune. Yes. So my colleague and I, Bryce Miller, we went and visited her after that viral ear chug there. And she actually is a poet. She's She's got like, if you go to her Instagram, she's got another separate page where she does like poetry and, and uh, you know, things with words and whatnot. So it was kind of interesting to talk to her right after she did that beer chug, because, you know, you got out to that interview and there she is kind of talking about all the, the published poetry that she hopes to see so for herself. So it was kind of cool like that. She had many variations to her, Gabby did, but she, she said that she just got caught up in the moment. She didn't think about it. She didn't think twice. She just went for it. And that's what we saw there. It was pretty cool. That is like one of those legitimate 15 minutes of fame kind of things. And I I don't say that in any sort of negative way at all, but like, you know, she's just there. She's at a game, minding her own business. You know, somehow Ender Inciarte hits a ball that drops literally into her lap, into a cup. And, uh, and and then she has some fun with it. I I just, I remember looking down because it was like kind of right below our booth to the left a little bit as you look down with Teddy and you start to hear the crowd, you know, going crazy from right there. And you're like, what is happening? And then you get the binoculars out or maybe I just looked cause it was close enough. And I was like, I can't believe what I'm seeing right now. You know, what's funny too is it doesn't happen that often that it's like such good timing the way she did it. You know, like we don't see, and like the camera was on, like we don't see it all happen as perfectly as it happened with her very often. As against the Braves, by the way, who the Padres uh, would be playing uh, tonight in Atlanta, if you look at the original schedule. Ouch, Jesse. Ouch. <laughs> Way to go, Gabby. Oh, man, this was too funny. It was just like good old-fashioned fun at the ball yard. So happy National Beer Day to Gabby DeMarco and to all of you. Thank you for being with us on this uh, this very special day. Speaking of today, uh, it is April 7th, as mentioned. And on this day in 1969, the very first save was recorded in Major League history. They put the save rule in, or at least the original version of the save rule, in for the 1969 season. And opening day, as was the case always uh, back in the day, was in Cincinnati, Crosley Field, I believe. And Bill Singer of the Dodgers closed out that game uh, in Cincinnati as the Dodgers beat the Reds, and he became the first man ever uh, to get that S next to his name in the box score. And I started thinking about the the save rule today because of that, guys. And and Bill, it's, it's such an amazing thing because... It is, I think, fairly unusual in sports that a rule, a scoring rule at that, could lead to on-field changes the way the save rule has over the years. Now, that wasn't immediate. Uh, In fact, and I don't know how many fans realize this, the save rule, actually, there are several different versions of how you could get a save before we landed on the current version, which I think goes back to like 75, something like that. But, I mean, you have seen, especially through the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s, managers make decisions solely based upon the fact that the guy could get a save. It's just, it's, it's a somewhat arbitrary thing. It's remarkable. And it also led to the one-inning closer. It didn't yeah. exist before the save rule. You would have guys like Raleigh Fingers, who did, did play during the save rule, but Goose Gossage, who went two, three innings at a time, or they get the save, but that wasn't high in their thinking. They were going to go to the end of the game. They'd come in in the seventh, eighth. And now Aaron has sort of bent towards the one-inning closer for a long time. And, of course, the Padres have been at the forefront of the statistic for a long, long time in the National League. 
That's one of the most remarkable things about the uh, history of this franchise. Kirby last year, 41 saves, led all of baseball to go along with that sparkling 119 ERA, which is a joke. Um, but yeah, I mean, you start obviously with Trevor, Heath Bell, you mentioned Gossage, Fingers. I mean, the uh, amount of elite closers uh, that have come through San Diego is remarkable, as any Padre fan knows. Uh, but Annie, it, it's it's just such an unusual thing that a rule helps dictate history the way this one has. Yeah, and like you said, it's something that is so unique to baseball. You know what I mean? It, it, it's something like that, that, you know, these little uh, nuances that shape the game and shape the decisions that managers make every day in and out of that game. And I was going to say the same thing. You know, we've been so spoiled in San Diego by the great closers we've had. And so that saves rule, I mean, that's, you know, seeing that the number of saves and, and seeing that stat, it's something that I know a lot of San Diegans feel pride about. And it is interesting to know how it evolved and just the reasons behind it, because it definitely has been something special for, for San Diego fans. That's for sure. Big time. Heath Bell running into the all-star game will never get old to me. I had never right. seen that video from the other angle where the camera guy is trying to chase after him and, and not really making it at all. It's hard work, uh, but, but kind of funny right there. Um, it, this also sort of started to get me thinking about, you know, other rules in baseball. Um, pitcher win is a thing that really did used to matter a lot because pitchers would generally work, you know, well into the seventh, eighth, ninth innings. Um, and, and you got to go back now 20, 30 years for that to be, I guess, the norm. Um, but the, the, the qualifications for getting a win have not changed in however many years. And we always say now when we mention a pitcher, like I do at the beginning of a broadcast with Ted uh, or, or with Mudd or whoever, you know, like, oh, he's, you know, six and four on the year with a 338 ERA. Like we say it because we just always have said it, but we always seem to qualify with saying, well, but you know, for starters, the, the win record, the win number doesn't really mean all that much. Is it time that we adjust how you can get a win in baseball? We have bullpenning now. We have guys that aren't allowed to go third time through the order. We have guys coming off Tommy John who aren't allowed to go more than 80 pitches. Should we be looking at, at how we qualify wins a little bit differently, Bill? Absolutely. Uh, no question in my mind. And wins are so much different now than they used to be and some of the old some records in baseball no longer i mean they will never be matched you randy jones 1976 season and i've advocated they just remove that from the padres record book because it makes no sense nobody's ever been 40 starts or catch 315 innings or win 20 games like he did i mean he has numbers that are totally 27 complete games. Those numbers will never be matched. Why keep them in the record book? Yeah, I mean, it, it goes back to this whole conversation about rule changes and, you know, if we should see the DH and the NL or if you had, you know, whatever electronic strike zone, this, that, the other. I mean, it just shows you that the game has always changed. It, it's it's always adjusted. Annie, you, you got opinions on the win rule? No, I mean, it's exactly those thoughts. The game has changed so much in the last even few decades that you can't, can't even compare you know, stats sometimes now to stats before because it's just, it's totally different. The game is totally different the way it's played. Um, but uh, the same thing, you know, I, I, the, we say the win stat, but it's not really, I mean, it's always got this little asterisk next to it that it just doesn't really matter that much. You know, there's just so many other things that we look at now when, when someone takes the mound. So I, I agree. I don't think it's a, it's a very useful stat and I don't think it's one that, you know, 
it's kind of just stuck around because like a lot of baseball things stick around and I get that, but it definitely doesn't have the same meaning that it used to. That's for Yeah. Sure. So I guess the way I look at it is I would like to formulate a way that the win becomes important again, you know, for pitchers. Um, and, and I haven't given that too much thought in terms of how you do it. Maybe you just make it every game. The official score uses his judgment, you know, the way they do when the starter doesn't go five now to assign a win to whoever is, is most deserving in his or her judgment. But I don't know, like it just, it's there. It's always there on the the baseball card on baseball reference. It's it's everywhere. It's on TV. You know, we still say it, even though maybe we shouldn't, you know, as much as we do. Let's let's give the win a little bit more meaning. I don't know. Can I disagree with you? Sure. <laughs> I think that with many pitchers, you look at pitchers who work seven innings a game regularly and they're getting 17 and 18 wins in a season. The win stat in that situation matters. Does it matter with relievers who wind up with 10 wins? No. But there are a group of pitchers, and there are always pitchers, the Kershaws, the, the Bumpers, don't like mentioning his name, but there are only a group of pitchers who are horses, who go out, work straight innings, and wind up with 18 wins. In that case, wins matter. No question. I, I agree with that. And, and when I say generally, you know, wins for starting pitcher, you know, aren't what they were. I'm not talking about a very, very small handful of guys that you mentioned, you know, who do still go out there with regularity and work into the seventh, eighth and sometimes ninth innings. Um, I, I think we're just talking about your average major league starter these days. It doesn't tell you anything about the kind of season he's having. But you're right. There are guys where it does stand out. And we talk about that. We say, hey, he's going for a 17th win of the year. Yeah, that's a big deal. Johnny Cueto a few years ago in San Francisco. Yeah. You know, Bumgarner certainly had a couple of years like that. Kershaw uh, endlessly, yes, has, uh, has been the same way. So anyway, the first save ever uh, this date, 1969, Bill Singer. Uh, funny little thing I saw about that this morning, which I never realized before. That was his only relief appearance of the season. He started 40 games that year. <laughs> he made one relief appearance. He got a save on opening day and that was it. And now he's got the first save ever and it goes down uh, in history. Now, we were talking earlier about the Arizona bubble plan. Uh, yesterday, we discussed how they're trying to get things ramped up again in South Korea uh, in the KBO. Obviously, you know, different parts of the world right now are dealing with, uh, you know, different medical situations uh, and everything has to be hyper specific, of course, to what you are or are not able to do. Uh, in Taiwan, uh, they are uh, trying to do uh, some baseball right now. And one of the stadiums, uh, forget robot umps, they have robot fans. Uh, I, I suppose is the idea here. And I don't know if they're just trying to generate, I didn't see a story. I just saw the tweet in the picture. Um, but I guess, yeah, they're trying to, you know, generate some uh, normal looking stuff like visuals, you know, for the players or maybe on TV to look a little bit normal by having, uh, I don't know if they're cutouts or digital or what in the crowd. I don't know if they're making any noise, but robot fans would be a new one. Um, this is, this is a strange world we're living in, uh, Annie. That's, that's all I got to say about that. I, I can see this happening. I can see where they're like controlled. Like you've got fans for each, each team and they're like controlled by remotes and they'll cheer when something good happens and they'll boo. And, uh, and I mean, I can see like these robots being made. It reminds me too of that South Park episode when the chargers first moved to Los Angeles and they had like those, those, um, Petri dish fans, like, like totally, totally different, but, um, but kind of not, but, but yeah, it is a very weird and strange thing, but I could totally see it happening uh, in, in some kind of shape or form. Bill, would you prefer robot fans or robot umpires if you had to have one? Oh, robot umpires. You know my stance on that. If we can rid ourselves of Joe West and Angel Hernandez, go for it. <laughs> Naming names. Wow. You're harsh, yeah. man. You are harsh. 
Bill does not hold back when it comes no. uh, to, to the men in blue. All right, we'll talk video games. Speaking of uh, that kind of stuff, in a few minutes with our friend Ramon Russell uh, from Sony MLB. The show is out. It is, uh, for a lot of us, really the only baseball we're getting in any way, shape, or form. Uh, but before that, I want to do some movie talk uh, with you, too. And we got a couple different generations uh, represented here, I guess, Bill. But on this date, uh, not only was the first ever save recorded in Major League history in 1969, but also what I consider to be one of the best movies ever made uh, was released. Uh, Major League came out on this day in 1989, and just a couple of years later, on this very same day, 1993, The Sandlot was released. A couple of cult classics, uh, a couple of uh, classic baseball movies. Um, Do you guys have opinions? If I were to put these two head-to-head, they're very different, of course. One is a kid's movie. One is very much not, even though I loved it as a kid. Um, You know, But if, if I had to give you Sandlot or Major League, you could only watch one for the rest of your life. What would you choose? We'll start with Annie Hovren. Um, I'm going with Sandlot. I just think it's iconic. It's a classic. You cannot help but smile when you watch that movie and those kids and you're killing me smalls and just all of it. It's, I love that movie, but they're both good. I will say that, but my favorite is the Sandlot. William? Annie's wrong. Major <laughs> League. Not even close. <laughs> those kids, Major League. Bill? In fact, there are about 10 movies I'd put in front of, uh, baseball movies I'd put in front of, uh, Sandlot. Wow. You are, you are ice cold. You're ice cold right now. Uh, uh, <laughs> no, this is going to be very unpopular. I, I, I've never liked the Sandlot. Really? People are going to crush me. I like should have never admitted that. I, I, I don't know if I was like a little too old when it came out. I think, I guess I would have been 11. I would have just turned 11 when it came out. So I don't know if it was maybe for younger kids or maybe I was too young. I don't know. But I remember seeing it for the first time when it came up on cable, I guess, you know, later that year, whatever it was. And it never really did it for me. Even with the kid as like the announcer and I wanted to be an announcer, it didn't, It maybe it was too close to home, I don't know. But like Major League, I started watching at an age when I had no business watching Major League. And <laughs> I, it, I, I, I can still do every line from that movie. I think it is so funny. And the craziest thing to me about Major League guys is like, it's really dead on in terms of like clubhouse dynamics and the way the guys talk to each other. Like they didn't, they didn't pull any punches with that stuff. Major yeah, I would agree. By far. I, you know, I, Jesse, I totally agree with you on Sandlot. When I saw it, I thought, ah, this isn't the way it, I, <laughs> it just didn't, didn't resonate with me. I, in fact, Major League and Bull Dur- Durham are my two favorite baseball flicks. I know. I'm, I'm getting, I'm, glad, I'm getting crushed. Yeah. I'm glad that at least I'm seeing some of like Sandlot votes in the comments because, yeah, two to one there. But, 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 I think you're going to get crushed for sure, Jesse, for just like not liking it at all. But I do think Major League is is a is a good movie. So no, I, I know, understand that. I, I know it's like a super unpopular opinion, and I'm not trying to say I'm right and you guys are wrong for loving it. I'm not doing that. I'm just saying for whatever reason, it never resonated with me on any level. It didn't, you know. And I I haven't watched it in a lot of years. Maybe I need to rewatch the Sandlot because, like I said, I know I'm going to get just absolutely smothered on social media because of that. You, you got to show your son, like when it's when he's old enough, you know, and then yeah. see like if there's a different opinion, you know. Yeah, I was big into like as a kid, I was big into Bad News Bears, mm-hmm. Major League. I like Rookie of the Year a lot. I like Little Big League a lot. I really like that. He's the manager. It was kind of intellectual. I, I related to that as like a an annoying little kid. But yeah, Sandlot like never never hit for me. I don't know why. I don't know why. I know everybody. I'm sorry. I don't know. And like as a huge baseball nut, it just never worked for me. But Bill agrees with you. 
So, you know, you I mean, let that, Bill, I don't mean to say anything, you know, inflammatory here, but I don't think that when the Sandlot came out in 1993, you were the target audience. You got that right. But you know what? I like Major League and Bullcrum because as somebody been around baseball, Jesse, you're the same way. There are so many things in those two movies who that really related directly to how the game is played behind the scenes. Absolutely. The scene in Bullcrum when they go to the mound and they're discussing the wedding present. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> totally. I, I have a Padre story that relates to something like that. Yeah. There are a lot of great baseball movies. There really are over the years. People are throwing out some of their favorites. Uh, but again, this was the day the Major League came out in 1989 and the Sandlot came out in 1993. All right. We're going to keep it super serious as we transition now from movies to video games. Uh, Ramon Russell is a, a good friend of ours. We see him at Petco all the time. A big part of this community and a big part of the team uh, that designs, creates, promotes uh, MLB The Show on Sony PlayStation. Um, if you haven't been around video games for a while, maybe you feel like you aged out of video games, you have no idea what you're missing. It is just an absolutely stellar experience. And Ramon was nice enough to join us earlier today to talk about this year's edition of the game. Ramon, glad you're doing well. Family all right, everything like that. I would imagine this year, uh, very different for you guys as it is for everybody in terms of the launch of this game. It comes out right before baseball season. What has this last few weeks been like for uh, everybody at Sony San Diego and beyond? Uh, Interesting, (laughs) to say the least. Uh, We've definitely been trying to adapt with the times, uh, but luckily uh, video games is an escape for people. So we're really happy that we were able to get the game out and people have been enjoying it so far. It has been an escape for a lot of people. We've seen players, you know, streaming, uh, playing themselves. Uh, Tatis is a guy. Uh, we talked to him about it a couple of weeks ago. Obviously, his fans. I mean, some of us are just putting on games and letting the uh, computer play against itself just to watch baseball for a little bit. What else have you guys been able to do to, to sort of, uh, you know, help baseball fans get that fix? Well, I mean, luckily for us, we have a really great live content team. So Steven and Luis and all the guys on the live content team, they've been continuing to push out content to give people more stuff to play and more cars to look forward to. And I think you're going to consider you're going to see that trend continue the next few weeks. What is new in the game this year? Every year you guys add so much cool stuff. It's amazing watching like the development cycle of the game on social media, following your account or, or the, the game's account, anything like that. I geek out on it. I know I'm not alone in doing that. So uh, for people maybe who, who don't geek out on that 360, whatever days a year, uh, what, what's new in 2020? Oh, I think we approach, you know, our baseball game every every single year with the same approach. We want to give people improvements that they can feel and see, and that starts with gameplay because if your gameplay isn't good, nobody really wants to do anything else. And then we also want to make sure we continue to improve our core modes like Road to the Show, Diamond Dynasty. Uh, we've added stuff to franchise mode this year. So every single year we want to touch everything and also give a new mode. Like we have a brand new mode called Showdown this year, which people are loving and hating that it's so hard to uh, to complete at the same time, but people are enjoying it. So every single year, it's that same focus that we've had going 15 years strong. Good gameplay, uh, improve the modes, give people something new and fresh, and continue to have that live content and keep the game being live so the game changes every few weeks. That's, to me, the coolest thing is the live aspect of it. It just kind of continually updates. There's new challenges, everything like that. You know, this is not the video games you and I grew up with where you sort of just went and played either against the computer or against your friends. The number of different options you have as a player, unbelievable. Yeah, it's 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 crazy. And we're, we're always trying to expand upon that. Like some people 
I just want to play Road to the Show. There are tons of people who only play Road to the Show, and that's fine. And we have another subset of people who only like to play head to head. And then we have another set subset of people that only like to play at home by themselves in their franchise mode or the custom leagues this year. So we, we try to give something for everybody. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago when we had Fernando on, but the chop is in the game this year. The sugar cane chop that the Padres did all of last season. He was just like loving it. <laughs> yeah, we saw that laughing and laughing and laughing when we first saw it. Now, I know the answer to this question because you were very kind and invited me to your place one time uh, to check out how everything gets done. But give the people at home an understanding of like how something like that, the sugar cane chop, ends up in a video game. Right. So uh, we basically have Lorne, uh, Kyle, and Kirby, and a, a few other uh, other individuals. We watch a ton of baseball. And the thing about the video game is, and that's with all sports games, you want it to be as authentic as possible. So when there's a new handshake or the sugarcane chop or the parrot or anything like that, whenever or the Soto Shuffle, for example, those things, we basically keep a long list. And as soon as the season's over, sometime even over Lauren uh, and Kirby and Kyle and the guys will go into the motion capture facility and we'll try to capture as many player personalization and team personalization animations as we can. And this year we've really started to expand with dugout celebrations and dugout dances. Uh, but we try to run the gamut of everything, strikeouts, home run celebrations, handshakes, you name it. We try to put it in the game. So there's somebody who works for you guys who is responsible for mapping the chop. It's not Fernando coming in there. I think that's something probably people don't realize. Yeah, absolutely. So the team, the guy who does most of the dances is probably Dre. Uh, Dre's been on team a few years and he's awesome because as you could probably guess it, on a video game development team, the number of people who can dance is actually very, very small. So Dre and Kyle have been very awesome in getting in the motion capture studio and making sure those guys look as good in the game as they do in real life. Absolutely amazing. Javi Baez on the cover of the game this year, obviously as dynamic a superstar as the sport has seen in a lot of years. As part of that, you've got an opportunity to be around him a little bit. What can you tell us about Javi Baez that we don't know from watching him star on television or in person at the ballpark? Um, I think if you followed him or seen any of the interviews, I think you would get that he's he's an incredibly nice and humble human being. He cares a lot about family and he cares a lot about Puerto Rico, where he's, where he's from. The only thing that really surprised me was I, I would say he's a little shy when that uniform is not on. Like when he's playing games, like he's El Mago, like it's a different uh, persona, it's a different personality. But off the field, he he, he struck me as, as, as quite shy, which which I didn't expect. I thought he would just be on all the time, but that's, that's not re really realistic. So the El Mago nickname is perfect because on the field, he's a completely different guy. And off the field, he's just this quiet, humble dude who loves family and loves to play baseball. No, that's pretty cool. Uh, one other thing I want to hit you on in terms of how the game gets made. Uh, it's really cool because on, on photo day every year at spring training, you know, we are privy to get to see the tent you guys uh, set mm -hmm. up. Uh, where the players can go in there, and, and I watched Manny go through this Machado this year. They go into the tent, they put the apron on, and you guys scan their faces, and that's how you end up with such realistic-looking uh, guys in the game. It is incredible to me, Ramon, how quickly that process takes place, at least on the front end. I don't know what goes on into it afterwards. Yeah, so on the back end, it takes a lot longer. Uh, but as you alluded to, we send uh, two camps out. We'll send a camera crew to Scottsdale, and we'll send a camera crew to Florida. And we'll basically put out a bulletin board for all of the prospects, all of the teams. We want the managers. We want everybody to come and get their head scanned. Now, if you've gotten your head scanned and it's been a few years, come back as well, because 
people change their facial hair, people age. So we're always trying to get as many face scans as we can. And the scan itself is very quick. It takes like 10, 15 seconds a person. But the actual process of taking that scan and building a head from it, there's about eight or nine um, guys on our team, on the character team, and that's their sole job. All they do is take those scans and they have to hand build these heads one by one. And they're also creating all of the uniforms and all of the equipment in the game. So those guys are always busy. What's that process like? Padres obviously getting a whole new uniform look this year to get those in the game. Yeah, so we work with the MLB very, very closely. As soon as the clubs decide that there's going to be a change, we'll we'll get uh, the updated info and our character team and our character artists, they'll start working on the info that day. And then as soon as it has been released to the public, that's when we'll let people see how it looks in the game as well. Incredible. About how many people are involved in making this? I mean, it's a video game. You either mm-hmm. download it onto your PlayStation or you, you get a disc and you, you slide it in. It, it seems so simple for us, the consumer, the user. But I've been there. Like I said, it's incredible. How many people are we talking about? Yeah, our studio now, well, we actually, we actually moved into a new studio a few months ago. We're about 100 people on our team. And we used to hover around 75 for quite a while. But, you know, if times have changed, we've tried to expand and get we've hired some really, really incredibly talented people. And so I think we're around 100 about now. Unbelievable. Well, it's fascinating stuff. You guys do just such, such stellar work. You know, I'm a big fan. Uh, always good to catch up with you, man. Glad you're doing well. And, and thanks for the time. No, thanks. Thank you for having me so much. Uh, and, and again, th- again, thank you so much. That's our buddy, Ramon Russell, community manager, game designer, MLB, the show and PlayStation. It's fascinating stuff. Uh, as I kind of mentioned there, a couple of years ago, they invited me to their uh, their soundstage, their studio, their production place. I mean, it's first of all, like just the coolest, most high tech, extraordinary thing ever. You put on like the the spandex suit. It's got the little balls all over it so they can track your movements. Uh, I put some bat flips into the game. They did the face scan. I was in the game for a couple of years. Luckily, uh, video game Jesse was finally retired out of the game last year. He was like the worst second baseman in the entire game, uh, which is fair. Um, but it's it's a remarkable thing that they do. And it, it's neat. You know, it's a local uh, production, which is always pretty cool. And you got to see some of the videos there. I mean, there are definitely times I'm sure people walk into a room when somebody's playing that game and they think you're watching a game. It's it's just spectacular. Yeah, I thought it was so fun to watch Fernando Tatis Jr. show that on his Instagram a week or two ago and show the chop and show how he hit a home run. But to your point, Jesse, it's cool that they're local, but also um, at spring training when they do those head scans, and they have, I mean, this thing is incredible. It's like hundreds of cameras lined up from your feet to the tops of your heads all the way around you. And it's just really cool to see how they set it all up and they break it all down and they move the players in and out of it. And it, it's just, it's so cool. Like you you kind of get to see how they do it. And it's, it's phenomenal, like the hard work that goes into doing it. I mean, it is, I mean, the product is unbelievable. I'm not a game this will surprise Jesse, but I'm not a video game player. I have looked at the product, and it is incredible what they can do. Uh, gamer is the term you're looking for. Yeah. You're not a gamer is what you're saying. Right. Yeah, we, well, you know, We might make you a gamer during this whole you know, pandemic. I, the last, you know? last video I played was Frogger with my daughter, Karen, and uh, Pong way back when. That's uh, that's way back. Frogger, uh, Frogger's a classic, though. You can't go wrong with Frogger. Uh, you certainly can't. All right, thanks again to Ramon Russell uh, for joining us. He's a great follow on social media as well. You check him out on Twitter. He's always putting out cool stuff uh, about the game. MLB The Show 20 is out. And as I said then, 
talking to him. For a lot of us, that is the only baseball we're getting right now, sadly. Aside from this show, I guess, if we can call this baseball. It's very, very debatable. Very debatable what we're calling this. Uh, lastly, uh, before we get going, and by the way, if you guys have any questions, um, you know, feel free to uh, fire them away, whether you're on Facebook, Twitter, uh, or uh, YouTube. Oh, you had me as your starting second baseman for the wow. Chihuahuas last year. Matt, that was a terrible de- – you should never be a general manager. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, I'm guessing he hit like 0.45 or something like that. I tried playing with myself a couple of times in the game with the guy, and he's just awful. But that's fair because like he should be because I'm not a professional baseball player. That's funny. But, yeah, sure. if you guys have any questions, fire them away. Uh, we said it was National Beer Day also. And, uh, you know, in, in today, boy, right day for this to be it is World Health Day. And uh, we've obviously been talking so much about the medical community uh, here in San Diego, uh, in all of California, in all of this country, in all of the world, and these people who are working so hard to put themselves on the front line of this thing. Uh, some pictures uh, came to us from our friends at UC San Diego Health. Uh, these are all, you know, local doctors and nurses and medical professionals uh, working here in town. And uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, that's all we've been doing is saying thank you. And we cannot say it enough. Uh, it's everybody who's putting themselves in harm way, harm's way uh, to try and uh, help all of us who need help in this community right now. Um, and it's it's been one of those wonderful rallying cries, you know, in, in communities all around. I think the, the first kind of viral video, I guess, that came out of anything like this was in Italy. I don't know how many weeks ago now at this point, uh, but we've had similar stuff happening now in San Diego. Check out this video from the weekend in Little Italy. 8 p.m. an opportunity for the entire neighborhood to sort of uh, show their appreciation for the medical staffs uh, in town. Really remarkable stuff, and uh, you love to see the community kind of rallying to support the medical professionals here. This is the kind of thing I think that lifts everybody's spirits, whether you're a medical worker or not. Just as a neighbor, a member of this community, you start to feel a little bit better uh, knowing that we're all kind of in this together. It's another great reminder of it. So everybody, keep up the great work, whether you're uh, on the front lines as a doctor, a nurse, or anybody else working at a, a hospital or a doctor's office, an urgent care clinic, wherever you might be, uh, or just a member of this community trying to stay strong and, and stay healthy. Appreciate all of you guys uh, oh so much. That's uh, pretty much what we have uh, uh, for this show today. But uh, guys, just kind of final thoughts on that video, Bill, then Annie. I mean, it's it's really one of those, can't help but smile for me at least. I didn't even know it existed until you showed it to me earlier today, G.D. And I, you know what? I'm very proud of San Diego, out of the medical community. But really, that that watching that video gave me a little pride in San Diego. Yeah, same here. I got chills watching that. And we've seen it happen in New York and in Italy, but see it happen here. And just, you know, all of us know someone who is in the healthcare field, a nurse, a technician, a doctor, someone on the front lines, and just what they're going through right now, the long hours, the stress of it all, you know, the uncertainty of it all. It's it's just tremendous what they're doing for our local community and beyond. So 
a little token of appreciation and it goes a long way. And I hope that they continue to do that down there in downtown in Little Italy. Yeah, it's like an 8 p.m. tradition now. So uh, if you live in the area, I'm sure you've heard it. And uh, the hats off to everybody involved in all of that. We will end you on that very nice note uh, here tonight. Thanks for joining us and uh, for being a part of Padre's Social Hour. Uh, we're so glad we're able to, to do this for everybody. I got such a nice note on Twitter uh, from a guy, Eugene, uh, this morning. And he's just so appreciative of what we're doing. Let me say to everybody who sent along stuff like that, it's us too, man. We're so thankful that that you guys are here hanging out with us and you give us kind of an outlet to feel a little bit normal uh, to be able to come on and talk baseball. So we appreciate you guys uh, so, so much. We'll continue to do this every Monday through Thursday at 5.30. And uh, that means we will be back tomorrow. So until then, thanks again for joining us. Stay safe, wash your hands, and we'll talk to you tomorrow night. Enjoy little Petco Park to cap off your evening.